Matthew 24 is called is part of what's called the Mount Olive Discourse because he's on the Mount of Olives when he gives this discourse on the signs of the times. I see Matthew 24 kind of as a sandwich. The prophecies are followed by parables. But the prophecies himself I see as a sandwich. And I, I believe this is my opinion. Uh, verses 3 through 14 are our day. And it applies to all times because these calamities and disasters happen and we do not need to be shocked by them. And then I see verses 15 through uh, 21 possibly as future, but also as something that happened in 70 A.D. And the Lord warned His people to get out of Jerusalem. Rome came in and leveled the place. And historically, I understand that because of this warning, no Christians died in that, in that destruction. They remember what the Lord said and they got out of there. And that's when the temple was destroyed and that wailing wall that, that the Jews are fighting to keep in the, and then the mosque on top, that, that's the original temple site that was torn down in 70 A.D. Then the verses following... Uh, the verses, uh, the days of tribulation, great tribulation he's talking about, I believe also refer to our day and the day of the coming of the Lord. All right. Matthew 24, verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of your age, of the age. When will these things be? First question. What will be the sign of your coming? First part of the second question. And of the end of the age. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. And he reiterates that in verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And then verse 24, 23. If anyone says to you, Look, here is Christ. Or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise up and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of man be. So these false Christs, you know, go over here, There's Jesus is over here. I heard of one church recently, Jesus showed up and got mad because they wouldn't give him a seat on the platform and so he stomped out. <laughs> no, if it's a real Jesus, he's coming like lightning. Whoa! Won't be any need, uh, where, where did he go kind of business. Bam, it'll be. Verse 24, for, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be let, uh, gathered together. Verse 28 of Matthew 24. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles or the vultures will be gathered together. One translator said, wherever there's a dead body, that's where you find vultures. And some people apply this verse meaning that um, unredeemed people are dead in their sins and they will flock after false prophets who are definitely dead in their sins. And other people say Christ just used this as, a, as an illustration um, that vultures gravitate towards what is naturally their assignment to fulfill in nature. And when 
Christ comes, we're going to gravitate towards Him. Gravity will lose its hold. Who's looking forward to that day? All right, that's just a little prelude there. And I know if you have questions, uh, come and ask me. And I may say, I don't know. Anyway, verse 4 again. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. That could be a person saying that they are Jesus. They're the Messiah. They're the prophet. They're the answer. That's happened. The world's had many Buddhas and Mohammeds saying they are the prophet of God and have deceived people. Or it could be people actually pointing to Jesus but they're false prophets and they're not really pointing to the real Jesus. Verse 6, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Who knows we're living in a time of wars. Some will say, well, the world has always had wars. Well, okay. The world has always had a sign that the end is near. No one is without excuse. There's international conflict. There's civil conflict, civil wars. There's tribal conflicts. There's ethnic conflicts. There's even conflict out in the business world. The courtrooms are filled with... There's conflicts in the family. People are killing each other in the family, either emotionally or with guns or with their words. We're living in perilous times. Verse 7 goes on to say, There will be famines. People are dying by the thousands due to hunger, which it just doesn't make sense. But it's economic collapse, cruel governments in control, not allowing their people. Zimbabwe right now is declaring that this year will be the greatest year they have ever had uh, agriculturally. The greatest year. And the World Hunger Organization and other organizations say, what are you talking about? Your, far your farms aren't producing... Um, what's the deal? And he's turning them away. We do not need food. We are the great... I mean, things like that create scenarios where people starve. And it's not quite as simple as Sam Kinison, the comedian, tried to make it when he mocked famine by saying, Hello, you're living in the desert! No wonder you're starving! He just didn't quite understand the, the complexity of the situation. The world is in a mess. And because of this, I, I just think eventually the world will evolve to the state where they will, they will try again to have a one world government. And when that happens, that doesn't mean the Antichrist is going to come immediately. It could be thousands of years, you know, hundreds of years before that would happen. But the world's gravitating towards that direction just because of the chaos. Look at it. It makes sense, doesn't it? Some of these little dictators, I mean, our country's trying to do something that, that um, will benefit the people of Iraq. And the crazy people in the countries around them are disrupting what's happening, trying to keep them from having uh, a democracy. There will be famines, pestilences, that's diseases, plagues, epidemics, STDs, viruses, SARS, hepatitis going with all the letters that, that, that come with it. Staph infections. Flus. We're talking now not just about epidemics, but pandemics, where the whole world is infected with, with things. We're living in that day and time. And I know we've had those in the past, the bubonic plague. I think the year 1900 
thousands, uh, tens of thousands died from a flu. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver, deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I heard last year the count of Christian martyrs killed for their faith was at an all-time high. All-time. More Christians were killed last year than any previous year. Then many will be offended. Live in a day of people just, they're so wounded, they just are offended at everything. They'll betray one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So we're living in the last days. Can you say the last days? It's that season of history between the ascension of Christ and the descending of Christ, the return of Christ. That segment of history is called the last days. Can you say that again? And I think we're living in the last of the last days. Days of deceptions. There's false Christs, false prophets, false gospels. There's people that preach. I saw one on... Can I just be really honest? TBN, he was marketing the trouble-free package. Send X amount of dollars, you get the trouble-free package, which is a collection of teachings on how to have a trouble-free life. Well, when Katrina happened, he stopped uh, marketing it. So, maybe he's learned. All right. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Uh, even some end-time prophecy has some error. Uh, those that push the pre-trib rapture uh, belief, I don't have any qualms with them or fight with them. I hope that's true. But they need to be more uh, definitive when they say pre-tribulation. What they really mean is pre-the great tribulation rapture. Pre-tribulation rapture, just, you know, don't tell that to the Christians in Romania or Africa that Christ is going to come back before there's any tribulation. You're going to say, something's wrong with that doctrine. There's, uh, there's tribulation all around in this country. So, some of these things grow in America because we are so blessed because of the Christian roots that our country has that uh, the liberals are doing their best to try to undo and open the doors to Pandora's box. Those, there's those who would set dates for the return of Christ. This deceives people because it sets them up to be disappointed and disillusioned when the dates come and go. And rather than repenting, many times a false prophet will make up a new theory and say, well, I was wrong about this, or I was wrong on this point. Come up with a new date. The guy who wrote 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ is Coming back in 1988, the next year, I understand, was tempted to write a book, 89 Reasons Why. He was coming in 89. I don't know what the guy is doing now, but the point is, that book, a lot of people got excited about it, and they're disappointed, and they're not in church today. What happened? They got deceived. You know the problem with being deceived? is you are deceived. You don't know it. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. The religion of Judaism respects the writings of certain rabbis 
And I don't know if you realize this, but the Jews are still looking for the coming of the Messiah. They, as a whole, I mean, there's now 300 Jewish Christian churches in Israel and hundreds more around the world. So they're, 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 see, their eyes are being opened spiritually. They're coming to Christ. And the prophecy about that happening in Romans 11 is coming to pass. And, um, but as a whole, the vast majority of them at this point has not yet seen Christ. So they're looking forward to the coming of the first Messiah. And so they have their problems too with people setting dates and then dates coming and going. Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmini had this to say about date setters. He said, May the bones of those who calculate the end, that is the time of the Messiah's coming, May the bones of those who calculate the end be blasted away. For as soon as the time which they have determined arrives and the Messiah has come, they then say, he will never come. Rather, what should be done is we must wait for him. As it is written, though he tarry, wait for him. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kid, it seemed like Christmas would never come. I hated waiting. And I love the Christian life. It is an abundant life. It is a life that brings victory in spite of difficulties. It's a life where you see things turn around and work out for good if you just hold on. But it is a life of waiting. You may not like to wait, but I'm telling you in reference to the coming of Christ, it's time to exercise patience and wait. And we're promised that if we wait, He'll help us. He'll help us endure. He who endures to the end. The end is not yet. Look what must happen in our waiting. Verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So the gospel of the kingdom, that is the kingdom of God, is here present in the rule and reign of Christ to all those who will submit to His will and enter into a relationship with Him. He did that by dying on the cross for our sins and has risen from the dead as our Savior. He was a sacrifice. He is our Savior and as our Lord. And He has an agenda to rule the earth through the hearts of men. Not through the guns and knives of men, but through the hearts of men. Through the power of the spoken word and loving acts of service. In America, we don't experience it right now because of the spiritual state of our nation. But in other countries, Christianity is growing faster than the birth rate. People who've never heard the name of Jesus before today are hearing it for the first time in their life. So why are we here? Why are we waiting? We're in this season of waiting to help spread the gospel. So, in the midst of these calamities, earthquakes, famines, hurricanes, tsunamis. The church is still here waiting on the Lord's return. But in the midst of all this are incredible opportunities to show the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Muslim or a Buddhist, we don't want you to go hungry. Whether you're a gypsy who worships a devil in Transylvania mountains of Romania. We want you in that particular village that we're able to, to know Jesus loves you and here's a box full of things that your family needs 
and your children need during our part. So I kind of see that these disasters are like a plow through the hearts of men to open the way for them to receive the gospel through the power of our words and the power of our gifts, our service. That's why we're here. Another deception that's occasionally comes along from time to time, it's a deception I call survivalism. It's this belief that the world is in a state of emergency. Therefore, the commands of Christ, including the Great Commission, have to be set aside. It's time to move to the mountains, store up food and water, get some cannons, and wait for the Lord to come back. People do it. People do it. It's a deception. Christ's commands are never going to be suspended. Ever. Ever. What is heaven? It's a place where His commands are fulfilled. His Word is forever settled in heaven. Never is there a time to... You know, under martial law, a country has to suspend certain rights and privileges because of the state of emergency that it's in. The kingdom of God will never surrender to its own martial law. There is never a time when we are not to love our neighbor. There's never a time when we're not to forgive and serve and love and and share the truth of Jesus. So beware of that deception. All right, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. feel like I'm preaching to the choir today. You guys know this stuff, but I just want to stir us up by way of remembrance. Another hurricane, another wave of flu. Yep. Another opportunity to overcome and share the love of God. Second Peter 3, 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So scoffers will say, there's always been wars. There's always been hungry people. There's always been disease. There's always been earthquakes. Verse 5, For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Can you keep your hand there and turn back to the very first pages of the Bible, Genesis 1. 
but stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance. The six days creations, the six on God created the world in six days according to Genesis chapter one, and in the context of every day, he used the word good. It was good. Somewhere in there, something is said to be good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So here's this planet covered with water. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then Jesus said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. See the word good? Good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. Then God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. All right, you go on, you read the other four days. The word good is used in the context of description of what happened each day. But on the second day, the word good is not used. You don't find the word good in there. Why? Well, look at by the power of his word, he created this firmament, which is the atmosphere that covered the earth. But then there's waters that covered the atmosphere. Dr. Carl Ball at the Creation Science Museum in Glenrose, if you've never been to it, I recommend that you go to it. Hopefully he's there so you can meet him. But he's done extensive research on the conditions of the earth that would have been present in this day, where there's lots of water on the earth, as there is today, but above that water was an atmosphere, and above that atmosphere was more water. So here God creates a planet like this, and Dr. Ball says that water would have filtered out harmful sun rays, that water would have created a richer uh, density of oxygen, and people would live longer, plants would get bigger, and things would be better. And so after the flood, According to the scriptures, man's lifetime was shortened and would explain some of the chaos that's in the world today. So according to the word of God, the heavens, going back to 2 Peter 3, this they willingly forget, verse 5, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. That's at two levels of water, the water on the earth's surface and the water above the earth's atmosphere. By which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So by the word of God, there was reserved this water that during the flood fell and covered the face of the earth. And God has promised... To never judge the earth, the whole earth, with a flood again. And all over the world there is evidence of that land having been underwater. Right here where we are. You dig around, you find shells, seashells in our soil. The earth was covered with water at one time. Every old culture, one guy told this to me thinking it was a disreputation, but it was actually a confirmation. You know, all cultures have the story of a flood. They have the same legend. Oh, really? 
Isn't that interesting? Hmm. So possibly the reason why God didn't say it was good is he knows one day he would have to use that, knowing the end from the beginning, to judge the earth. He was not happy about that. But look, the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word, the same word that preserved the word for judgment with water has preserved the earth for judgment with fire. By the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What could change in our atmosphere to create this thing that would judge the earth with fire? Maybe it's a meteor somewhere that will eventually land here and destroy the thing. People have surmised that and created movies. Was it Armageddon that was about that? Or Anyway, uh, maybe it could just be a shifting in the proportion of gases in our atmosphere. You get too much oxygen, you get a real problem if you light a match, you know. So, I don't know. Anyway, the point is, scoffers say everything's gone the way it has always gone. And they forget, oh, that's not true. One time there was a flood. And mankind had a hundred years... While Noah was building that ark, mankind living in his region had a hundred years to get right. There was plenty of room on that boat to house a bunch of people. And nobody repented, asked God to hold back the water, and nobody asked Noah for a boat ticket. They just mocked him. Scoffers forget about that and the evidence of flood that's in, in geological uh, findings. They just look at, well, it's been so long since the Lord promised he'd return, and he hasn't yet, so he must not be. Like a little child thinking Christmas will never come. It will come. Verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now that is not a formula. Western thinkers love math and they try to come up with formulas out of the Bible and some have done that to set a date. All right, seven days, 7,000 years. You know, Israel was a nation in 1948, so in 1998, Jesus has to come back. What basically that's stating is God is not captive to time. He's not limited to the space-time continuum that we are. Because... We're captive to time. You know, we have a past, we have a present, we have a future, but we can only live, only live in the present. We tend to think linearly. And God's a mosaic thinker. I mean, He's got the whole picture. Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When we pray, I heard uh, Ted Haggard say this recently, Pastor New Life Church in Colorado Springs. He said, when we pray... Provided that prayer is biblical in alignment with God's will and our hearts are right, He answers that prayer immediately. Somewhere along the timeline of our life, that prayer is already answered. And in God's presence, it's done. But us, captive to time, not thinking of the future, not realizing God's got an agenda and a plan and a purpose and things are going to fall into place that will bring the answer to that prayer, we think He hadn't answered it yet. That's why we've got, always got a reason to praise. The answer is on the way. Actually, it's not. We're on the way to the answer. So it is with the returning of the Lord.
Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Certain Western theology that teaches Jesus did not die for the sins of the world. He's not calling all men to come to repentance. He just, you know, God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believeth in Him. That world's a very small world. That's His predestined world. That's a bunch of bunk. Churches that believe that don't grow very much and their missions is pretty lame and their prayers are pretty dead because God's done it all and there's no human responsibility. It's a form of fatalism and an excuse for laziness. It's not right. I know they use Scriptures to prove their point, but they ignore others that would disprove the point and try to explain them away. Christ has not yet returned because this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world as a witness. So our part in being patient and being waiting is to be active and do all that we can do. Take advantage of this. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Who's looking for that? day. Look at verse 12 again. Looking for, we're to look for the coming of the Lord and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. It's interesting. Looking for His return and hastening. I don't know if I can hurry God up, but I know if He's waiting on His gospel to be preached in all the world as a witness, if his coming, his returning could be hastened, man, let's, let's propel this thing. Now, some have used that verse to an extreme. I remember going to a meeting one time, and I'm not lying. A preacher that I really liked to this day got up. He was all fired up about the offering. It was going to be used to broadcast the service on satellite. And the satellite waves would go all around the world. So people all over the world provided they had electricity, had satellite dishes with televisions and receivers, and they could understand English, they would hear the gospel. And that's the only thing left to do. For The only prophecy yet to be fulfilled is the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached all around the world. Please give in this offering. This, this is the way we can hasten the coming of the Lord. A little simply, simplistic thinking there, right? But he jumped the gun and said, this offering is to finance the return of Jesus Christ. (sighs) That was 1982. The Houston Convention Center. Anyway. So we are called to wait. Another verse says, when we see these things come to pass, these disasters, these persecutions, these things, 
Lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. We are living in exciting times. While at the same time these disasters are happening, um, obstacles to the gospel are coming down. And new means of, cre- of communication are being opened. I mean, ten years ago, I didn't ever think telling people to turn their phones off in church. Who'd have thought of that? Uh, can you all turn on the projectors? In the last 30 days, the U.S. Um, Geological Surveys Department said there's been 515 earthquakes in the United States. In the last 30 days. So I don't know that there was as many earthquakes as there were in Christ's day. I don't know. But I know there's a lot of shaking going on. If you take your time to look at that, it's color-coded. Last week is the... uh, To me, that's kind of the color of our walls. It's kind of the color of the nation. But the squares that are are the cream-colored and... uh, Yesterday was the blue-green and then the reddish color is in the last hour. Of course, this was yesterday around 3 o'clock. And you can click on this website and click on each, each of those squares with your cursor, right? <laughs> Left-click on it and it will bring up data about that, the strength and the time and all the specific statistics about that particular earthquake in that area where it happened. What is going on? What is going on? Look at Hebrews. We're going to look at two other passages and then we'll stop. Hebrews 12. I have another one I, that I made a transparency of and it just did not show up anything, but it's a stuff all around the world. It's just absolutely amazing. Look at it if you want. It's the USGS website, United States Geological Surveys. All right, Hebrews 12. Verse 27, we'll just jump into the middle of this context here. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal. Oh, let's go ahead and go to verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So in this world that is shaking, economically, physically, 
geographically, atmospherically, meteorologically, universally, however, whatever adjectives you want to use, the world is shaken. Politically, it's our opportunity, wherever the door opens, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, whether it's in word, in deeds, or in sending people who will preach there in word and deeds and supporting those who are doing it. Preaching the gospel of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In this kingdom, all things work out for good. Outside of this kingdom, you do not have the assurance of that. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that those things which cannot be shaken will remain. You ever seen a wet dog shake? He's shaking everything that can be shaken, so that that which cannot be shaken will remain and get dry more quickly. All right. Romans 8. Who would agree I don't need to go on the Bible prophecy road? I'm not slamming Bible prophecy teachers. I'm just saying, if it says it's a novel, the book you're reading, I don't care who wrote it, how, how scholarly they are, it's a novel. Okay, there we go. Moving right along. Romans 8:18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to com be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I don't care what you're going through. It is nothing compared to the blessing that is coming your way because you're going to live forever if you know Jesus. For the earnest expectation of the creation earnestly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. I am who I am by the grace of God, but I'm not going to stay that way. We do not know what we shall be, but we know who we'll be like. We'll be like Jesus. And we are waiting on that. And creation is waiting on that. I think the mountains are saying, Would the children of God please be manifested? For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself, verse 21, the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans. Everybody say groans. Groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So what is all this business? Birth pangs. What is these hurricanes? Birth pangs. Laboring to create a way for people's hearts to be softened to listen about Jesus. So creation is groaning. Verse 23. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit... Even ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And the older we get, the more we groan. But creation is groaning and we are groaning. Lord, please come back. Please. Verse 24. We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? So we're people of hope. Hope is a reality. But the things that we're hoping for, we don't see yet in the real world. 
Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it. Everybody say wait. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So creation is groaning, we are groaning, and the Holy Spirit is groaning. Now, He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called them. Called whom He called. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's say, God is for us. God is for me. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all on the cross, how shall we He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. And who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? So we've been justified. We've been predestined. Predestined. Christ has paid the price for us and He has risen from the dead. And He's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. And the Holy Spirit is groaning for us. The earth is groaning for us. And even our own bodies are groaning for us. We're going to make it. (laughs) But we're called to wait and be persevering. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress? Let's answer these questions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? None. All right. Can tribulation separate us from the love of Christ? Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, perils, swords, high gas prices. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. You know, if we die, it's a glorious thing. To live as Christ, to die is gain. It's bye-bye, groans. Hello, God. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand. Just have a little little interaction here just to drive the point home. Until the Lord comes back, what are we called to do? Wait. What else? Spread the gospel. Persevere. Are you groaning? Yeah. But you're going to make it.
in the 1970s, I moved to Zimbabwe. It was Rhodesia at the time. And their exchange rate for their currency was two U.S. dollars for one of theirs. Things have changed. When my daughter went there, Summer went there three months ago, it was how much? 20,000 of their dollars to one of ours. Three months later when she left, what was the exchange rate? 95,000 of their dollars. What's going on? We're going into debt in Iraq and now we're rebuilding cities and states and what's George Bush thinking? What's, what's our government thinking? What's All things are going to work together for good. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Hallelujah. But we will not be. Amen? Because Christ is our solid rock and if gas goes up to $5 a pint, we're going to what? We're going to make it. Amen. <laughs> May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and provide for all your needs. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Son of the living God, may you persevere and wait and not be deceived by scoffers. In Jesus' name, go and do the will of God wherever He provides opportunities. And men, let's be the men of God in our house. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen.